Hi, Minasan ko. Nijiwa, and welcome to the Board Game Dojo, the podcast originally from Tokyo, Japan, where sometimes we use language and communication to learn more about board games and the people who design them. My name is Eric. Thank you so, so much for joining us, whether it's your first episode, you listen to every episode, or somewhere in between. We are so sincerely, sincerely, sincerely thankful that you have taken the time out of your day to join our little podcast. For the second time this week, you will be happy to hear that it is not just my voice that you will get to hear. Today, we have a guest, and it is the designer behind the recently successfully fulfilling Kickstarter, Tricky Time Crisis, and the designer from a game that we have covered on the channel before, Best Candy on the Block. Today, we are joined by John Barron. John, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Thanks for having me on. So, so I think first of all, so the interesting thing about Tricky Time Crisis, well, among other things, is that it is something called a must not follow. Now, we've covered must follow games on this channel. We've covered may follow games on this channel. Can you just explain to the audience a little bit what must not follow even means? Like, what is that? So in must not follow, it means that whatever cards are played into the trick, uh, you are not allowed to play cards that suit um, if you are following. So instead of trying to play the same suit, you have to all play different suits. Interesting. Now, did you set out to make something that used must not follow from the get-go, or was it something that just kind of came along during the design process of this game? Uh, I actually set out to do that from the get-go because um, my idea for the game involved uh, a superhero theme and the fact was like each trick was actually like a fight for the superheroes. And so it made sense to me that each uh, trick would have to be uh, one of each of the suits that was uh, in the deck. Oh, that makes sense. So actually the theme was uh, decided on early on in the process as well. Yes, that's, that's very true. So basically uh, 2022, uh, the PGC, the Portland game, collective uh discord had decided to have a their first convention and so i flew out to portland which was a little bit of a ways for me um but i was excited to meet some of the guys and so i ended up in a game with uh with lee from the pgc and we were playing a game called memo rangers and uh so that's also a must not follow game um, themed around like uh, Sentai. Uh, you know, yeah, the Power Rangers kind of thing. Power I think a lot of people will know at least. Yeah. Right. And so uh, as we're playing this game, and, and this game is like semi-cooperative kind of because you're trying, the the hand ends when somebody can't not follow, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but the thing is, you're, you're also making bets on how long the hand will last. Um, and so lead the entire time, just like thought it was really funny to just, uh, pass cards so that he would be short suited and the hand would end very quickly. And so I thought it was funny because since, uh, we were all supposed to be heroes in the game, but yet he really, he really wanted to be the villain. And I was like, well, what if, what if there was a game where somebody was the villain? And that's, uh, the initial idea that I had for tricky time crisis was like, Everybody's a hero except for one player gets to be the villain. Well, that's really that's really cool. It, I think it's very rare these days, um, and you were able to do it in your other game as well, of kind of 
uh, imbuing theme into a trick-taking game because trick-taking is just very, very old. And most of these games you can play with just like a standard deck card. Like you don't really need to have theme that goes with it a lot of the time, but you came up with not only the mechanism early on, but the theme that would be using that mechanism very, very early on. Yeah, I I tend to think of games, um, I guess you would say like top down. I, I come up with the themes first and the mechanics later. Sometimes, um, sometimes I have an idea of how they would fit together and I can simultaneously put them together. But um, but yeah, I, I prefer to come up with like, what is the game about? And then how would you how would you make this work? So what is it about trick taking games per se that makes you want to use them as your kind of canvas? What attracted you to making one of your own trick taking games? I think it's just the versatility because it's it's like it's a very specific thing of like how trick taking works and you know like but it there's enough give that you can play with it a lot and so that's where it becomes interesting because like you know part of being you know creative in almost any way is like when you get a random restriction then sometimes that can make you more creative um because it's like okay well now i need to work from here and i can't do this anymore so that means i have to do something else and that gets your brain moving in a different direction. Um, and why trick-taking uh, was good for me specifically, uh, I don't entirely know. I just happened to be uh, playing um, some trick-taking games at a time where I was considering making my own games. Um, I uh, knew a few kind of trick-taking games, like not much. I knew Hearts. And I kind of knew how to play spades. And I went on a vacation with some friends and we ended up playing spades um, a few times over the course of the weekend uh, while we were on vacation. And I just remember like, just like kind of being like, oh yeah, like now it makes sense. Like now that I'm actually playing this game and like, I kind of like knew going in like, oh yeah, this is how you, how spades works, but actually playing it um, really really made me see like how how it could interact like that and then i wanted to be like i want to make something like this i want to make a game but like uh you know obviously with best candy on the block my first game uh the theme was i i wanted to put more and more suits into the game and and i wanted to see if i could make that work yeah that's a, actually a pretty good uh transition because i wanted to ask you a little bit about uh best candy on the block you did best candy on the block and then there was best candy on the block rewrapped which is the one that we covered for some really uh some good under the radar halloween games for people last year i'm it's definitely probably like one of the not as good videos that we've done on our channel i'm very sorry to you for that um <laughs> but you know what we're learning and I think that's one of the things in any process that's good is that we're learning from our past. What do you think that you learned from Best Candy on the block that you could uh, kind of build upon for Tricky Time Crisis this time? Yeah, I think I learned um, a little bit about like trying to take my time with the design and getting to a point where I was happy with it. Um, but also with best candy it's like it's a lot of stuff that i like that is not necessarily beloved by like um the uh the trick-taking crowd so much all the time like it definitely appeals to some people but i think there's a lot with it like there's a lot of chaos 
with it. Um, there's a lot of like silliness that it just doesn't appeal to everybody in the trick taking realm, uh, which is fine too. But uh, it it's just like it was it was a more of a personal project. It was something I did for myself, and and I learned a lot by doing it. Just like how to make things work, uh, but you know sometimes when you make something that's just for yourself, obviously it's not going to be as successful as other things. Yeah, I really enjoy the uh, the stomach ache variant from Best Candy on the Block, and I think it was like one of those where you put on so many suits in there that it kind of actually between that and the stomach ache variant, it like again just kind of adds to that theme that you had to it uh in the silliness of it i know you know i don't think any game you're going to get 100 percent of people who like it but the people who like yeah. the game really like the game and that's an important thing that is true like i do there are some champions of best candy on the block that just really enjoy it and honestly i when i go back to play it i i do like it i think it's a good design i think um I think the stomach ache uh, role is like important because I think it balances out the game. It makes it so you don't want to win all the time. Um, and I think it's more interesting at lower player counts. Um, I think at higher player counts, it does get really chaotic since it's, uh, you know, speaking of must not follow best candy on the block is follow anything. So you can, you can play a card as long as one of the suits on the card matches something in the trick. And if you're playing with four or five people, that can mean by the end of the trick, you can play almost anything in your hand probably. So it's a little bit more interesting at like two and three where you have more restrictions uh, because there's not as many cards in the trick. So it's a little bit more restrictive of what you can play. Do you want to just explain the stomachache variant um, as well since we've mentioned it twice just because now, oh, now hearing from you that like, oh, this is in fact a recommended way to play. Uh, in case oh, yeah. maybe they so, haven't played with it before. Yeah, so the the way that one works is, um, so in, in Best Candy on the Block, there is uh, 10 different suits that are like good suits. They're all different kinds of candy, different flavors like chocolate and caramel and, and sour and gummy and things like that. Part of the game is that after you're dealt your hand, you also get dealt out a secret kind of objective card, which is your favorite flavor. And so you get bonus points by gathering or collecting tricks that have cards that match your favorite flavor. Um, and so you get a point for every card that you've taken that matches your favorite flavor. And to balance this out, I made a rule that um, whoever wins the most tricks, they basically get a penalty of like they don't get they don't get the uh, the bonus points because you also can get points per trick. So potentially, if somebody just had a really good hand, they could just win every single trick or get very close, and it would just be such a blowout game. So now it's like a little bit more of a push and pull thing where you do want to give away some stuff. You want to give away a couple of tricks here and there because you can probably get more points if you make somebody win more than you. Yeah, don't be selfish. Share some candy with your siblings. That's always kind of what happened to me. Um, <laughs> so... Yeah, that, but I've actually, I want to kind of backtrack a little bit because you brought up something that I've kind of wondered about designers because there has to be so much playtesting that goes on throughout the process of designing a game that I think if like, especially in the day of age we are in, in which like people are kind of playing a game a few times and then kind of moving on to whatever the next thing is, is do you play your own games after they have been 
released? Or is it something where it's like, if you play it again, then you're like constantly trying to like fix things and not just leaving them alone. So then, you know, you can't enjoy them. Uh, that's, yeah, that's a good question. Um, so you had talked about how I, I had done best candy on the block and then I did it rewrapped and the rewrapped version does have different rules. So obviously like that was a design that I could not leave alone. I, I felt I had to fix it cause I had, I, I, felt that the the original game design just uh, was lacking and too confusing and uh, had issues. And where it ended up with the rewrap version, I was a lot more happy with. And I have gone back and I've played it and I uh, I do not feel the need to change it yet again. So I mean, that's, that's good news, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, is when like you can go back to one of your own designs, play it, enjoy the game, and you don't want to change any of the rules. With Tricky Time Crisis, it's still pretty new. Um, I have played it a lot. I've I've probably I've probably played it more after the Kickstarter release than I did before it, even, which is kind of funny. But I just went on a series of uh, of gaming cons. And so basically I was constantly teaching it to new people. And so uh, I I think Tricky Time Crisis is better at higher player counts. So often I'm in the game um, when I'm teaching it. And so uh, so I've played that a lot. And I, I have one or two thoughts about things that I could have done a little bit different, um, but nothing major. I think the biggest thing is um, if I did do a reprint, I would definitely make it so uh, Dr. Tricky Time's cards have player count numbers denoted on them somehow, which would just make putting together the deck faster. I think that was a that was a miss to to not include that in the original game. Uh, like just have like little dots in the corner of his artwork or something that so you know like okay, these are the cards I use for three players and these are the ones I use for four players. But other than that, I think uh yeah, there's there's not really anything about tricky time crisis I would change. I was pretty happy with how it turned out. So are you selling, are you telling us that we're not going to get like a couple of years? We're not going to get like a tricky time crisis. I don't know what you would call that. Recalibrated rewound. <laughs> no, like there's a chance that it would get, uh, it would get a reprint though. I mean, if I, I do have a, a few extra copies that I, I printed off and if I sell out of that and there's demand, then I would always consider doing another reprint. Or I mean, and, it would be a first reprint. I've only done I've only done a print. <laughs> <laughs> no, no re 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 reprints. There we go. Um, yeah. But these questions. So because of tricky time crisis, we tried to kind of separate out this interview of uh, the first questions that we've been answering so far. I've been really concentrated on the past, and now we're going to try to move from the past a little bit more to the present. And in order to get that way, we want. Uh, I have a question of. How do you think that the trick-taking scene has changed since when you first started designing trick-takers like Best Candy on the Block to today where you've designed Tricky Time Crisis? The scene maybe has changed or the openness of people to these new and interesting trick-takers that aren't built on just a standard deck of cards. But what, what do you think has changed, if anything? I feel like there is a... Um like a coalescing or like congealing aspect of the trick taking uh, realm 
that did not exist when I first met, started making uh, Best Candy on the Block. So the original Best Candy on the Block was 2018, I believe. And at the time, I did it, and there were definitely um, – there was plenty of trick-takers going on at the time. I think, like, Cobras, I think the first edition of Yokai Septit came out that same year. Um, and so there was like, so there was some good stuff coming out. Um, but the thing is the fan base, uh, was a little scattered at the time. And so I think because of things like the trick taking guild on BGG and because of, uh, the PGC discord and because of Taylor's trick taking table, YouTube channel and things like that, there has been like beacons for people to seek out and go, Oh, I like trick taking games. And like, now I have ways to find other people that want to play them with me online or places I can read information about them that I don't think were really available like seven or eight years ago. And so I, I think that's the biggest change that I've noticed personally is just like, you know, there there's this grouping that didn't seem to be around as much. It was like, if you like trick-taking games and like you played them in real life, that was fine. But there was not really corners of the internet for you. And believe me, I had searched them out because when I was uh, when I was trying to advertise for Best Candy on the Block uh, during my Kickstarter run, the original one, I was like trying to find uh, pockets of the internet where I could like tell people about trick-taking, and and I was having a lot of difficulty. So. Uh, I think there's a lot more of those spaces now. Well, sure. It's, 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 uh, a lot of it is the communities that you can build and just the fact that there are these, these separate beacons, as you called it, of, you know, it's not just like one person shouting from the rooftops from a podcast or one person that's shouting from the rooftops and recording it on YouTube or whatever. They, there's actually like different places in which they can send each other. And then you get this kind of cyclical thing that builds this excitement for a genre. Yeah, and, exactly. And so part of that, because there has been this amalgamation of communities that have been happening and we get all these new games all the time, you have people importing these really hard to get games from uh, East Asia. You know, a lot of them are going to be featured on our channel um, and other channels. Uh, you, you brought up a few um, and they're ones that we've brought up on our show before. Um, a lot of people are saying now that we are in a trick taking renaissance. This is the time for trick takers. Um, this is the time to shine, even though it's a very, very old genre. Um, do you agree that we're kind of in a trick taking renaissance and what does that even mean to you when you hear this from people? I think we are in a trick-taking renaissance. And I I was discussing recently with my very good friend, Mike Delizio, and Just name-dropping on the board game dojo over here? <laughs> uh, no. Uh, so I believe Mike was like kind of the first person that said trick-taking renaissance, or at least he was like, repeated a lot from a video that he had said it. And um, I, like I had said, I just recently went to a few cons. I went to, uh, I went to PGC con, the second one this year in July. And then I went to dome con, uh, the dads on the mat um, con in uh, Kansas city. And then uh, I also went to the dice tower retreat. 
Um, and so Mike Delicia was there and I had posted um, that I had a bunch of trick takers. And so as it happened, Mike Delicio is also very into some uh, trick taking and uh, and Asian games. And, and so he found me, I had my pile of games and he was like, oh, I had never seen this one before. Would you like to teach it to me? And I was like, oh, yeah, like sit on down. We'll, we'll teach. And so I, I said to him, I was like, I was like, you know, I heard there's a trick taking renaissance. And he's like, oh, yeah, you heard that? So uh, <laughs> it was quite funny to to us, at least. <laughs> but I think uh, to, what does the trick taking renaissance mean to me? It means it means an, a time of of acceptance and pervasiveness and creativity. And I think all those things are currently happening in the trick taking realm. So I I think it is a trick taking renaissance. So with all this creativity, with all these new games coming out, I, I'm not going to ask you to give me 10 that you like, but what are your top three trick-taking games? And I am going to hold you to this. I expect a definitive list that will never change. <laughs> never never allowed to change, huh? Nope. Uh, nope. Oh, man. Okay. Well, I guess uh, <laughs> I have uh, I probably, probably like one fan favorite. And then one that might be controversial, and Ooh, then okay. maybe one that's like personal favorite. I don't know um, if you, if you listen to this sh- listen to our show, but on the Monday one we were talk we had a top ten list, and I'm pretty sure my number one. I don't know if we'll have any fans left after listening to that one, so I'm sorry about that for your interview. But give, <laughs> give us the give us the top three that you got. Um, okay, um, so uh, number one, I would say uh, Schadenfreude. It's uh, definitely one that I just loved as soon as I learned how to play it and I've taught it to many people and I enjoy it a lot. And I think it's good at like three players, four players, five players. I think it's good at all the player counts. It's just wacky. It's fun. Like I love the pitch of like, okay, in this game you want to be the second best and you know, you want to get, get the most points without going over. And it's just funny things can happen it's just a little wacky, but there's some strategy in it, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I do hear that it's enjoyable in that game to watch people lose. <laughs> yes. So. Uh, it does live up to its name that way. <laughs> um, so my second uh, one, which m- this might be a controversial one because I know it's it's a very love-hate game, but it's m- pr- it might be the trick-taking game that I play the most. Uh, which is Skull King. Uh, my my wife and I uh, we live with uh, with my in laws, her parents, and my father in law loves trick taking games. And for whatever reason, uh, I've taught him many many different trick taking games, and he just loves Skull King. And that's always the one that he requests. So every time we play new trick taking games, he always wants to play Skull King at the end of the night. And uh, actually, last weekend, I just taught him Mino Dice, and he loved that one, too. He thought that was even funnier. You know, I wonder if part of it was Skull King. And I, I have heard, like, it, it surprised me, actually, when I came back to the U.S. to hear about all the negativity from it. Because in Japan, it's it's really positively taken. Um, lots of people own a copy of Skull King um, in, their, in their homes, at least in my general area. Of, I wonder if part of it is is 
just how the theme is something that's like very familiar to people. And at least like as an American, like like it's pirates, right? But like it's kind of those pirates that you would see on like a mini golf course. <laughs> yeah. And then the box even says like it's like Grandpa Beck's skulking and it's like that sounds like a golf course that i'm going to actually get like some ice cream and some questionable hot dogs at um and then you're like when you are making the bid that you have to do at the beginning of the round you're going yo ho ho like Mm -hmm. it's like i don't know there's something very approachable to that yeah and it just it just like it gets it pulls you in and you know it and it's got like that that thing of like the hands get bigger and bigger and like you, you mm-hmm. can learn from your past mistakes of like, okay, like this is, this is what I did wrong bidding last time. And like, okay, well now I got one more card. Can I do it right this time? And it also, I mean, not everybody plays with the powers, but I, of course, I love the powers, you know, I, you've played tricky time crisis and you've seen all my, my crazy expansions to best candy on the block. So, you know, I love power cards. Yeah. I'm shocked. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, I, at DomeCon, I ended up in a Skull King uh, game, and so I played a I played uh, a pirate. I played the Rascal Rotan, and I was like, "And then I'm going to uh, I'm going to make a bid." and And everybody's like, "What are you talking about?" And I was like, "Oh well, I won with the Rascal, so I I can uh, make an extra bet on my bid." And they're like, uh, "No, that they don't. They just win. They don't have extra powers." And I'm like. No, they, they do. They'd have the extra powers. And, and everybody was like, oh, we're not playing with this. And I was like, what? You don't <laughs> play with the pirate's powers? What pirate doesn't have superpowers? What are you talking about? <laughs> so I was I was totally caught off guard just because they were like, oh, yeah, we don't we don't play with those. And I was like, but why? It's that's that's it. It's it's like the extra cherry on top of a cherry sundae. Playing, playing with that, like that kind of thing. And with like, I know that there's like different variants of these different games. It's kind of like walking into somebody's house and they suggest that you want, they want to play Uno. And then you have to like figure out how exactly they play Uno. (laughs) Yes. What what are, what are the personal rules for Uno at this house? Yes. Can you Um, explain to me how to draw twos and draw fours work here? (laughs) Um, Yes. Do we stack or do we not stack? Like, I need to know this before we go in, but uh, can you give us the last, the last of your top three? Okay, my, my Unless it's Uno, in which we can keep our discussion going. Oh, wait, wait. No, well, Uno's a shedder. It's not a trick taker, so. <laughs> oh, good point. You know, there's the same family, you know, the family thing. <laughs> but uh, my my number three is, um, is it's my, uh, you know, my big sit down, lots of information trick taker. And I still love to teach it, though, which is trick takers kings. And mm, it's just, they knew. there's so much going on. But I just I love that game. I I like I swear I've taught it to almost as many people as I've taught like Tricky Time Crisis and Schadenfreude. Wow. But like I sit down and I'm like, this is what's going on. You need to get points. How do you get points? You make bids. How do you make bids? All these cards give you bids. Yeah, but I I, I really like uh, Trick Takers Kings. I I'm a fan of the original Trick Takers, but Kings is a uh, is like my favorite of the of the trick taking i guess trilogy at this point um there's there's the original and then there's the uh little trick takers and trick takers kings yeah very new the kings one uh also just recently fulfilled to the u.s and abroad i believe 
Oh yeah, and it was a very fast, very fast uh, fulfillment. It was it was very impressive, really, and the box is beautiful. John, your BGG bio is like a whirlwind of information. Like I just like I'm going to read it for the audience because like I have no idea what to make of this. Of you went to college looking to learn how to become a psychiatrist, but instead learned how to play Dungeons and Dragons, and then changed your major a few times, earning a few degrees, which a few degrees is like. A little bit seems like overkill, and then changing careers once or twice. The only thing that stayed the same was his love of games and the friends he made playing them. John enjoys most RPGs, Magic the Gathering, and the very underappreciated Dragon Dice. John currently works as nuclear medicine technologist, a career that can best be described by his wife as injecting radioactive chemicals into people and taking pictures of what happens. Um, how did this shape you into being the person you are today? <laughs> um... Well, uh, just from the bio or just like in general, <laughs> um, I, you know what, honestly, whatever, because like my, like trying to follow everything and then like getting to like best candy on the block. It's like, wait, wait, hold on. You just told me you talked about like nuclear stuff and now we're going to best candy. What are you putting into your candy? Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, so, and what have uh, you injected into your design process? <laughs> That's a good one. Um, yeah, so basically I, I I learned how to play games very early on in my life. My grandmother loved card games, um, and I often joke that I knew how to shuffle cards before I knew how to tie my shoes, um, which is only a little misleading because I learned how to tie my shoes later than probably children should. But Ah, <laughs> uh, there you go. I was 15 before I learned how to tie my shoes. Um. <laughs> my grandmother used to say that I would be walking down my wedding aisle wearing Velcro shoes. Uh, but <laughs> she was uh, she was very into cards, and she had a group of friends that she had had since high school, and they they had a card club, and they played um, they played Liverpool, which. Uh, uh, is actually the inspiration for Phase Ten, if you've ever heard of that one. I um, did not like crazy. Phase Ten, and I like it even less now that I know that it's Liverpool because I'm a Chelsea fan. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, so cards were big in my family, and we played a lot of cards. Uh, my grandmother taught me how to play pinochle when I was a little kid. And which is funny because I don't remember how to play it now, but uh, and we played a lot of Uno uh, for some reason. We did play a lot of Uno as a kid. And so, yeah, my grandmother always loved playing cards, card games and stuff. And then uh, we played a lot of like Tripoli um, and stuff like that. And then when I got to college, uh, like I said in my bio, I learned how to play D&D instead of uh, learning to like have a career, I guess. <laughs> and I fell into a crowd that of uh, of role players that we we really role played. Um, I started college in the summer of 2000, which was when it was the year that Dungeons and Dragons third edition came out. Mm, and okay. my friends and I were all for it. And we played so much Dungeons and Dragons, like we had simultaneous campaigns going on three, four days a week. Like that's that's how much we were playing. Um, 
And then we also did War of Darkness stuff, Vampire the Masquerade, uh, Werewolf, all kinds of different stuff. Um, and so, like, that kind of, like, that changed me and made me understand, like, the community of gaming and everything. And just, like, how you could you could make friendships and just have such great times with people. And so I think that was, that really uh, shaped me into kind of the person that I am today and, and my love of games and spending time with people and in a, in a way of like, here's an excuse of like, we can sit around and just do something, but like, we're also like, we're not just like hanging out. We're also playing this game. And so yeah, I, I did get a few degrees. Um, I was chronically undecided and ended up just getting enough credits that I graduated with a double major in mass communications and sociology. And then uh, went out, tried to get a job, kind of failed. And my mother is uh, an ultrasound technologist. And so I ended up working at her hospital uh, and she told me to go back to school to go into uh, nuclear medicine, and which I did because at the time uh, there was jobs abound. Um, and then, of course, by the time I got out of school, those jobs were not around anymore. Uh, that's how it always works out, of course. But yeah, so for my my job is basically I inject people with radioactive isotopes and I take pictures of them under cameras and... Uh, that's what I do for a living. And I don't know if that's really affected how I am as a gamer slash designer, but, you know, I guess if you have that like analytical mind of like making things work a certain way, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I guess a lot of the game designers in Germany are all, all have doctorates in mathematics. So maybe, maybe there is like somewhat of a mathematical brain that helps you become a designer. Well, I think you can either say that like you like the precision that that you do, but I mean, also it's just totally fine to say like I have my job and it has nothing to do with my hobby. That's allowed yeah. to be said, I think. I definitely feel that way some days. Like putting on my work hat and putting on my game design hat are like they feel very different from each other. Like they feel disconnected. Yeah, I mean, then that's totally fine. I mean, it was, it's more just like I was asking just out of curiosity to see if there was a line to begin with, because some people, <clears throat> some people's lives are just kind of a, a swirl, you know, it's definitely a, not just a straight line. Um, and, you know, seeing how people are getting to where they are, I think is interesting to hear about, but there was part of your BGG bio that I left out on purpose because I wanted to know specifically what you meant by if we were playing my way, you'd be winning. What does that mean? So that was uh, that was a catchphrase of mine for a while in my gaming group because I uh, I do like coming up with new rules and alternative ways to play, and I don't do it as much as I used to. But there was definitely a time where I would I would be like, oh well, this this should be the rule for this game, and and then like later on, we'd be playing and something would happen in the game. And I'd be like, well, see, if we were using my rule, then you'd be winning right now. But uh, I, I mostly did that to just drive one of my friends crazy because he he would teach me rules and I would be like, OK, I know how to play. And then I because I was like filling in the blanks and he'd be like, no, that's not how it works. And I'd be like, 
oh, well, this is how I think it works. <laughs> Are you the person on BGA that just like will play the game and just like click on whatever you can click on at the moment without actually reading the rules of the game? I, I mean, I've never done that before. I, I don't I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I do that so often. I, I'm pretty sure I like uh, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> <laughs> But kind of going, so we've we've gotten now into the present. Let's go into the future just a little bit. Is there something that you want to see in the card game space in the next few years? And this can be trick-taking related or not, but it could be like how you want it to grow, how you think it'll grow, whatever you want to interpret this as. Um, I would like to see uh, a little bit more of mainstream, maybe for, for the small card game genre. Uh, I think it does exist to a certain extent, um, like in like the targets and stuff across America. But um, I think there's there's more small card games could break into that space Uh, and probably not like a lot of the trick takers that uh, we play so much. Like, I, I think there's not a lot of families that would just like pull out trick takers kings and be like oh yeah we can learn this mm. uh, yeah it's simple but <laughs> fun for the whole <laughs> yeah, family so simple. um but i think there are a decent amount of of games out there that like very easily could be in in like just like the general gaming uh area like uh, i feel like there's a lot of like good kinesia games that are you know very simple and just like haven't been pushed out to the public so much, I guess. Um, but they they easily could be, in my opinion. And I think one of the problems with America's American stores is they do have that like that big box nature where mm-hmm. um, there's that uh, thing where if we see a big box and the price is low, we think, oh, this is a good value, and. Uh, so, but games can exist in small boxes and also be a very good value and it's, Mm -hmm. but it's hard to sell a small box for $20 or $25 or whatever, because in, you know, somebody's mind, they go, this is not big enough for the, for it to cost this much. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I would love for, you know, that to become more of a norm is just like, you know, you can buy a small box and it can be a good game. And like, it doesn't have to have like 70% air just to make it big enough that you want to buy it. Right. I wonder if, if this is something where you're going to get a a rule at some sort. And I, I have no idea if it's going to happen in the U S but I know other countries have done it where it's like, you have to make the box size. So it's only like a certain percent bigger like at max it can only be a certain percent bigger than the components that are inside of it oh interesting um it's and a lot of it is based on like countries that don't have that much space or countries that are going really environmental like really care about the environment as we probably should i mean board games can definitely get better at being more environmentally friendly of like no 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 if you only have like cards in that box it needs to be a small box yeah no people like that i think that would be a great idea um, but yeah, like uh, when I was when I was trying to, I mean, granted, I'm not the best salesman or anything, but when I was trying to take uh, Best Candy uh, rewrapped around to retailers, one thing that I did here was like, well, the box is not big enough. Like, I can't sell a box this size for um, 
what I would need to sell it to make a decent profit. And I, I just remember like, that's such a silly thing like about retail, but like, I mean, I guess it makes sense, but uh, I'm like, I, I love this box size for my collection because I can, I can fit so many of these games on one shelf. <laughs> yeah. That box is like a, like the size of an oink game, just a little bit bigger. I think like in terms of height, I think, but it's small. I was shocked when I got it in the mail. <laughs> but any um as we kind of wrap these things up uh you know anything fun or you know not fun to expect from you in the future oh, anything not fun no oh. I, I don't know what you're doing you know maybe you're designing yourself a challenge i don't know <laughs> um i am always designing lots of different things uh what actually i try to to push out to the market that's the biggest question um I have uh, I have something that I've been working on for a little while that is uh, uh, essentially. Uh, have you ever heard of Smash Up? Yeah, uh, where you kind of like the unmatched before unmatched. Yes. So you in Smash Up, it is uh, basically kind of a like a dueling game, like a Magic the Gathering or something like that, but much more simplified. But the way that you construct a deck is by taking two smaller decks and combining them together, you smash them up, right? And so mm-hmm. you sometimes the combinations work really well and sometimes they don't. And so um, I was like, what if you had a trick-taking game that was a smash-up game Ooh. where you combine different trick-taking rules and then essentially every time you played, it would be a completely different game and maybe it would work and maybe it wouldn't work. <laughs> and my wife was like, if it... Sometimes it doesn't work. Why would anybody want to play this? And I'm like, because it's just that fun. <laughs> it's worth the risk of because when it works, it works really well. That kind of thing. Oh, that that idea has kind of like um, changed a little bit here and there. Um, I was working with my artist, uh, that I, the artist that I had for Best Game on the Block. And um, we. I think we might end up like making like a proxy deck. Um, just, uh, which wouldn't be like a big thing, but, uh, I, I, I might make like basically a deck that would be a bunch of different rule cards that you could use with the proxy deck and you pick out like, oh, I need, I need a card that tells me how to determine Trump. Oh, I need a card that tells me what cards are worth points and what cards are not worth points or like how the trick resolves different things like that. And you would basically combine all these rules and then you know, make it make your own game. Um, so that's one idea I was working on. Uh, I am working on a sequel to Tricky Time Crisis. Ooh. And uh, so the idea of that is like uh, having a new kind of villain, uh, new heroes, new artwork, stuff like that. Um, I'm also working on a bunch of random non-trick taking card games. Uh, I have a game that I keep going back to the design and I've never really finished it, but like, it's like almost there. And it's a, it's a game about like running a wedding, um, where, uh, you're trying to get the best guests to come over to your table. And so you, you can score points by having fun people sitting at your table, but also at the end of the game, you get points, but according to like the gifts that the people at your table leave the, the bride and groom. Um, and then there's also drama, 
which can reduce the amount of points that you can get. And then the the other thing is, you know, at the wedding, drinks are being served. And they, depending on how many drinks have been served, sometimes that changes uh, certain guest scores. They go from being really fun to causing a lot of drama. Or maybe <laughs> if a lot of drinks have been served, they give better gifts because they're, they've had a few drinks and they don't care what, how much money they give away. Um, wow. Okay, so we're basically going to get a tricky time crisis cinematic universe. And <laughs> then, you know, depending on how it goes, you know, I like the wedding one. The wedding one sounds really fun, too. That's yeah, an interesting that's an interesting my, concept. My wife, my wife loves that design. And, um, yeah, like uh, it it is like it is close. I just I just like I feel like there's one last design that we have to crack to make it like really smooth. But it is it is getting there. Um, it's a it's definitely something I keep coming back to. Well, if you need any playtesters, hit me up. That sounds pretty fun. Um, but we've talked about a few of your games today. Where can people find you and your games? Um, so I am on BGG. Uh, my uh, username is jbaron81. Uh, that's Baron with two R's, like my last name. Not not Baron like my company, which is one R, which uh, is just extra confusing. Uh I am on the PGC Discord, uh, and I am not super active on there, but whenever somebody uh, ats me, I will almost always respond because um, it reminds me, oh, yeah, there is a Discord where we talk about trick-taking games. Uh, and then uh, those are probably the two easiest places if you ever want to reach me. Oh, uh, and then you can also, if you want, you can always email me at baronjohngames at gmail.com. And that's Baron with one R. Okay, and I'll put those in the in the show link so that, or in the show description, so people can just like uh, go to it if they want to do that. And where can people buy the games? Uh, like Best Candy on the Block, it's coming up to Halloween next month, um, or Tricky Time Crisis. Now that that is uh, successfully fulfilled, where can people get a hand on these? Uh, Tricky Time Crisis is available online uh, currently at three different websites: uh, trickyimports.com the pgc uh storefront and at um uh what is it mr ben's travel uh travelgames.co.uk that's that i'll put that in the show notes as well yeah yeah so tricky time crisis is available at all three i think best candy on the block is only available at travel so that one's a little bit harder to find but if you message me on bgg i i can get you a copy um I don't think really many people are carrying it though. <laughs> no, it's not on Amazon anymore. Oh yeah, like uh, to keep up an Amazon storefront is like they charge you money and like ah, okay enough sales to really warrant it. It's glad I got the hand on it. You get so many emails about like we've changed our policy. We've changed our policy. Like, <laughs> no, nah, I can't keep up with that. But thank you so much for joining us today. I it has been a pleasure getting to know you um, and I'm sure the audience will appreciate it as well. I will again, leave uh, all the ways that you can contact and get a, a hold of these games uh, in the show notes. But uh, thank you very much everybody for listening today. That is going to do it for today. Until next time. Bye.